morning, church. It is so true that uh, all glory and praise and honor goes to our great and amazing God, and that we are so thankful to Him uh, for blessing us and allowing us to be able to assemble yet another day to worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is good. God is certainly good. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. Magnificent and wonderful God in heaven, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you. Thank you so very much for this opportunity to worship you. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to serve you and to honor your name, to worship, singing praises of glory to you, remembering Jesus who died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary so willingly that we might live. Help us, Lord God, never to forget your goodness and your compassion and your mercy. And take our minds, Lord God, away from worldly thought at this moment, please, that we might focus only on you and on your word, your will, and your way. These things we ask and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ to be thy will. Amen. Revelation chapter 7, please. It's good to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike and those who are here present as well as those who are online worshiping with us this morning. This morning, uh, the interlude, this is that, that time between the seventh seal uh, and, or the sixth seal rather, and the seventh seal that is about to come. In the midst of all of this calamity that we've been reading about thus far, especially in, in chapter, uh, chapter 6, the question naturally arises, well, if all this is going to happen to the inhabited earth, what's going to happen with God's people? Will, will God's people be torn away and, and swept away in this destruction? And that was a question that was asked. And the question is this. Who is able to stand? And God is going to give us the answer right here in chapter 7 as to who will be able to stand when God brings all of this disaster upon this wicked and evil world. So, we pick up in chapter 7 beginning at verse 1. As this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until you have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. I want you to hold on to that for just a moment. That God paused the activity of heaven for just a moment, for just enough time to seal his people. To say, my people must be protected and able to stand when I bring my wrath upon the earth. And the only way that they will be able to stand is if I set a seal of protection upon them. It's beautiful. Turn to Exodus chapter 8. The sealed saints are, are the ones who will be able to stand Not because they were great or different in one way or another, but because they were different in this. They were God's people, Christians, 
And they were exempt from the doom that was coming upon the world. God separated those who belong to Him from those who belong to the world. And this is not something that's different. God has already shown us this picture. He tried to show us this picture from the spiritual standpoint or side throughout the Old Testament. You read through and God makes a distinction between the common and the uncommon, between the clean and the unclean. He tried to teach us this lesson in a spiritual way. But because we're physical human beings, He shows us this lesson also in a physical way. So in Exodus chapter 8, beginning at verse 22, listen to what the text says. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of insects will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. So here God's people are in uh, Egyptian bondage, if you will, and God separates out his people from the plagues, from those who belong to Egypt, who are oppressive upon the Israelites and the rest of the world. Look at chapter 9, verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. And the Lord said a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the morrow, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Chapter 9, verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. And then you remember the death angel, those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. A definite distinction and separation out from the people of God and the people that belong to Satan. And God never gets it wrong. Turn to Ezekiel, please, chapter 8. I'm going to show it to you again. And by the way, this is throughout the scriptures, but I want to show you this one. This is another vision as we're reading the visions of Revelation. Here is another vision where God separates out his people from those of the world. So in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, you have uh, Israel uh, committing horrible sins as they're worshiping idol gods. And God comes through this vision. And in verse 17, listen to what is said. And he said to me, do not, do you not see this, son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they have committed here? That they have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly. For behold, they are putting the twig to their nose. Therefore, I indeed shall deal in my wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor shall I spare. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I shall not listen to them. And so God's been prophesying as you're studying in the morning. Jeremiah talks about, Ezekiel talks about that Babylon is going to come and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. And everyone thought there's no way Jerusalem could ever be destroyed because God is protecting them. But then God withdrew his protection and he allowed Babylon to come through and destroy them and listen to the way the vision sounds as to what Babylon would do to the Israelites without the protection of God. Look at chapter 9 in verse uh, 1. Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. 
And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate with faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen with a a writing case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in the linen at whose loins was the writing case. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children and women. But do not touch any man on whom is the mark. And you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. You see, the problem is this. Turn to Revelation, please, chapter 13. You see, Judah trusted in man. And Judah worshipped so many idol gods. And God tried over and over and over again for years and years and years to tell Israel to stop following this idolatrous way for stop to stop sacrificing the children, to stop uh, in, in your wickedness and evil and murder. And they would not listen. And God said, I'm going to send Babylon to make you stop. And that's the vision. Well, guess what? History repeats itself. Because what happens is, now in the days of Rome, where Rome is the power of the world, supposedly, and not God. And so, what did the Jews do? The Jews and the world trusted in Rome. And the Christians looked and thought to themselves, maybe Rome is in complete and total control. And maybe we should also bow down to Rome. And God says, don't do that. Do you remember? So here it is. In chapter 7, he says, do you remember when I sealed my people and I separated them out? And then chapter 13, he reminds them of what happens when man depends on man, they also get a mark. But it's a mark of failure. And that mark is the ever familiar sound of 666. Chapter 13 and verse 16, the Bible says, and he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that uh, no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. You can't win with the mark of man. Turn to the book of, uh, of Matthew chapter 13. You cannot stand, we cannot stand when you're trusting in man. And that number is a man, a man, and a man. It was trade and monopoly. It was all about money. They were going to fix their own problems with money. You can't fix your problems with money when it comes to God. 
It has to be the soul. It has to be in righteousness. It has to be that which God demands. Who's able to stand? Those who have the mark or the seal of God. As opposed to those who will stand opposed to God and continue to be oppressive in their wicked ways. They will not be able to stand. God shows us this separation over and over again where God separates his people from those in the world. Listen to Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 47. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of this age. The angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the question is, who will be able to stay? Back to Revelation, please, chapter 7. Now to the sealing or to the, the marking, if you will. God is protecting his people and he gets it right every single time. And I want you to remember that this is a vision. And in this vision, God is trying to show us or remind us of his protection and protective power as well as his wrath. So verse 3 of Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says this, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and forty. 4,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Remember we did numerology, right? So don't get wrapped up in the numbers. 12 times 12 multiplied by 1,000. 144,000. God's completion of organized religion. Old and the new. All of God's people. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. However you want to use that number, understand that God is showing in this symbolic number the totality of his people from Adam all the way to the last man that lives on the face of the earth. That these people, these people are not only sealed and marked for heaven, but these people are all right. Now, it's a symbolic number. And if you look at the verse and you try to, you know, I, I know there's some teaching sometimes. People say, well, this is, this is a real, it's a literal number. Let me show you why it cannot possibly be a literal number. So now, chapter 14, chapter 14, in verse 3. Here's the problem. The problem is, uh, when you look at that, the text left out Dan and Ephraim. Well, that means it's not complete. Because you can't have the 12 tribes of Israel if you don't have Dan and Ephraim as part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Not only that... When you look at this text, this text excludes women. Well, that can't be possible because women are fellow heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And you say, I don't get it. I didn't see where the text excluded women. Well, look at the context of Revelation, the whole the holistic context of this book. In Revelation 14, verse 3, 
And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Again, it is a symbolic number. It is not a literal number. God's point is the totality of His people, small and great, male and female, Jew and Gentile, all of God's people collectively together. Now here's what's interesting about that number. That number of people, is that number is not in heaven. Remember, the 144,000 are sealed where? On the earth, right? And that's important. Because hey, I know it's backwards when you think about what's being taught in the world today. But turn back to Revelation chapter 7. Because there is another number. And this is the number that should concern us. So... The angels are holding back the four winds until the the people of God are sealed. And now in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, you see there in heaven, and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And so this great multitude is in heaven victorious, they overcame. And now the 144,000 are on the earth. In other words, what God is saying is that I'm protecting my people and my people that have gone on before are already protected and they are well. We win. That's the point. Remember, Revelation, we win, we win, we win. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Stop looking at pharaohs, at the thrones of the pharaohs and the, the emperors and the, the Romans. Start looking at the throne of heaven. And when you look at the throne of heaven, you say to yourself, Oh, God is wonderful. God is good. God is great. We win. Don't give up your faith. Don't quit. I know right now it's tough. It's tough. We're going through, a, we're going through something. But don't give up your faith in God. God is in complete and total control. In verse 10, the Bible says, And they cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Wait a minute. How can Jesus, didn't he die? (laughs) He's on a what? Yeah. God is going to remind us over and over again that Jesus gave his life. And he's on the throne victorious. And every man will bow before him. And he is worthy. In verse 12, the text says, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. We cannot lose if we stick with the Lord. You see? But they were struggling, you see, for just a moment. Thinking to themselves. Maybe Rome is God. No. Don't be fooled. 
see, Satan, Satan has his way of, of sometimes, uh, destroying the mind, if you will, befuddling the mind, bewildering the mind. It calls us to sometimes get things backwards, get our priorities backwards, get our, our lives and our minds backwards, and we, and we miss it, and we, we forget about the battle. And then, though it may look sometimes, it may appear as though we're losing that, like right now, this pandemic is out of control. It's in complete control by God. Right? God knows what's going on, right? I'm not saying God is the cause of it, but what I am saying is that it's in complete control. Look, if you will, at verse 13. And one of the elders answered saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus. How important is Jesus? These filthy rags have been translated or transferred into these beautiful white clean robes. This filthy heart of mine, God has washed it clean by the blood of the Lamb. There was no way that I could be saved, but God sent Jesus. And He died. And He made the world right. And He gave us an opportunity to be saved, to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you use God's name in vain, church. Don't you use Jesus' name in vain. Because to Jesus belongs all might and all power and all honor and all glory. And for this reason, look at verse 15. For this reason, they, the multitude, the overcomers, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. Again, that is God's protection. Let me just, just, just for a moment, talk about this very real, right now we have a very real pandemic. They had a very real situation persecution in Rome. It's very real. And for a person to come to God meant you, you could lose your life tomorrow. You could get baptized today and die tomorrow. But you would reign victorious. The saints, they needed to see life from heaven's throne room. So God brings this book to them. No longer looking at Domitian. No longer thinking about Nero and these emperors who were ruthless against Christianity, but rather to look just for a moment at heaven's perspective and heaven's vantage point. The hunger and the thirst was very real. Because when we get to chapter 13, you'll find that you know, Satan's very busy. By the way, Satan is the cause of all this evil, right? He's behind all of this evil that's going on. And so Rome decided what they do is that they would cause Christians to be denied the ability to work. Which meant they had a hard time buying food. 
And so buying and selling and trade, remember we study this, buying and selling and trade meant what? You had to worship the idol gods that came with the trade. Christians would say, I refuse to worship that God. So they would give up their trade and they would struggle a bit, a lot. So hunger was a very real and common trial for them. And then those tears, those tears flowed, brethren. Those tears flowed every single day because of the martyred Christians Loved ones who senselessly died as they were slaughtered. Survivors being found without their, their, their fathers, their mothers, their, their husbands, their siblings. Today everything's fine, but all of a sudden Rome comes knocking on the door and slaughters your whole family. And those destitute survivors, They found themselves in need. The bereaved found themselves alone without any support. But they held on to Jesus. And God was taking care of them. But they wondered, like many of us would wonder, God, how long will this go on? Think about the families. The families who saw their loved ones shred to pieces by those wild beasts in the Colosseum. They'd grab Christians and they'd throw them out there and they would, and they would, they would entertain themselves by uh, letting a lion or a tiger chase them in the arena, in the Colosseum. And then just devour them in the presence of all the people. And the people would cheer. And not only that, they would, they would pour tar and pitch on Christians and they would suspend them in the air and they would light them on fire, alive. And you were a child of God. And you were watching those things. You would need God to give you some kind of comfort and hope. And then those Christians that were forced to defend themselves, to fight against the gladiators. And they'd watch the gladiators just destroy and utterly kill these Christians. There are lots of stories you can read about about what happened to the Christians when you read maybe the Fox's Book of Martyrs and other other type of literature will tell you some of the events and things that were happening in these days. And the Romans, they believed in mocking the Christians. They mocked them and they mocked them and they mocked them and they asked the question, where is your God? And as the Christians were in this deep loss and this feel of hopelessness, then comes this book. (laughs) And this book says, oh wait, you thought you were losing? No, no, no. No, no, no. You have won this victory already. And then comes the verse. The verse that we're all looking for. The Bible says in verse 16, They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, He shall guide them to the springs of the waters of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And brethren, when you know that God is in charge, 
And when you know that the God whom you serve is in complete and total control, and he loves you, and he says, hold on just for another day, and when you come to be with me, you're going to see all that I made. Remember what Jesus said. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I've got a place for you that you don't want to miss. And if it costs you in this life your head, so be it for the cause of Christ. Remember Jesus, who didn't die on the cross because he didn't want to. He died because he was willing to die to save our souls. He desired to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Brother, we win. And that's the point of this book. We win. Don't you ever give up your faith for any reason at all. And this morning, if you're struggling in, in your life and you would like prayers made on your behalf, we ask you to come. If you're not a child of God, we invite you to come and surrender to God, to surrender to Him having heard His Word and believed it, having godly sorrow in your heart, repentance, making a confession you believe Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son, of the living God and being baptized immersed in water for the remission of your sins. This morning, if you are willing to obey that gospel call, if we can help in any way, if you need prayers, please make them known as we together stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?